And if you came expecting Genesis, um, hang on. As I was uh, just going through the day yesterday and my phone was blowing up with all the crazy stuff going on, it just, it, I just felt like the Lord turned my heart and said, we need to talk about remaining calm. And so I wanted to look at Psalm 91 this morning. If you would turn there with me, we will read Psalm 91. And then we will study it together briefly and see what the Lord has for us here in this amazing piece of scripture. So that you don't fall asleep, I'm going to ask you to stand up one more time to honor the reading of God's word. Psalm 91, safety of abiding in the presence of God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, thank you for your word. And as we consider it this morning, may you speak to every heart, to every soul that needs to hear it. And may your words be to us life and truth and comfort. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The year was 2000. I had a unique opportunity through the church I was a, we were attending at that time to go to Israel. But not on a tour of Israel, but to serve the gypsy people, whom you may not be aware of, live inside the Muslim quarter of Israel. And two weeks before we were to go on this trip, we had already bought our tickets, we were ready to go, we were leaving sometime in October, I forget. Uh, Ariel Sharon, the then Prime Minister, had declared something that upset the Palestinians and those on the Temple Mount, and the city of Jerusalem went into lockdown. And when the city of Jerusalem went into lockdown, they actually, uh, all of the people traveling there canceled their trips. They said, it's not safe, we're not going to go. 
And when that happened, all of the people in Jerusalem even, they started staying in their homes. But because we were not going for a tour, we were going to minister to a sort of hidden people group there in the city. In fact, uh, the Calvary Chapel Bible College had just been established there. Calvary Chapel Magazine had just been established, if you're familiar with any of those things. And as we uh, decided to go, uh, the people who were leading the trip, I was not one of them, I was just a participant. Uh, the leaders, there were three separate churches, had decided to go uh, on this trip, uh, that we should just go anyway because we had a specific mission and because we were not there to specifically, you know, tour. So we, we went, we got on the plane and we went. And when we got there, <clears throat> there was nobody in the city. We had the run of the city to ourselves. It was amazing. And as we were there and uh, the first couple of days, uh, the interesting thing is, and I was thinking about this this morning, uh, that trip is actually when I started using this Bible. And I remember sitting out by the pool of the place we were staying early in the morning, just quiet time with the Lord. And in my reading that morning, just so happened to be Psalm 91. And this psalm, sitting on the hills of Jerusalem, listening to the popping of gunfire in the distance, and knowing what we were facing, came alive to me. And last night as I was praying, and I was, you know, I was, I was you know, getting ready for Genesis, and I, I just felt the Lord speak to me and say, you know, we need to hear Psalm 91. We need to hear this in a context such as ours that we're living in right now. And I'm not going to go through all the dirty details because you know them if you've been watching the news. People have just lost their minds, haven't they? But as God's people, we trust in the living God. We trust in one who cares for us. We trust in one who protects us. And while he hasn't promised that None of us would ever get sick or that we're not going to die. You know, the day will come when we're going to, to pass from this earth. As Those are just facts of life. There is something about trusting in God. God promises his people unique and divine protection. And yes, even those his servants, when we think of people like Moses and Elijah and Paul and, and the people who suffered for their faith, we often confuse what it means for God to protect his people and to walk with them versus thinking, if something goes wrong in my life, then God's not with me. And that is not true. So let's look at it this morning as we, we dive into Psalm 91. And let's see those, those words written on the page for us here. Now, your Bible uh, might have a, a subheading at the top, which were added by the translators, but something like, the safety of abiding in the presence of God. Here's what it says in verse 1 and verse 2. Let's read it together. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. So the first thing it points out to us here is that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. What does it mean to dwell in? in the secret place of the Most High. Well, who wrote this? That might help us understand it. And the answer is, we don't know. There's speculation between David and Moses. There's no clear attribution here as to who might have actually written this. 
Psalm 90 was a, a psalm of Moses, but Psalm 91, we're not sure. But there are similarities between the two that might suggest Moses. But either way, we know that uh, whoever wrote it, that they understood a very important truth here. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's interesting that this word dwells is the Hebrew Old Testament equivalent of the word we find in John chapter 15 for abide, which means to stay, to remain, to be close to God, to keep ourselves in that place where we are close to him. And Jesus said very similar things in John chapter 15, as are said here in Psalm 91 and 92. When Jesus talked about abiding, he talked about staying in the vine, staying close to him, staying connected to him. And that's really the same thing that the psalmist is saying here. He who dwells or remains or abides in the secret place of the Most High. What or where is the secret place of the Most High? I'd like to suggest to you, it's in your prayer closet. It's in that, that time where you set aside to be alone with God. And of course, when we get up from that time and that place and we move out and we go through our day, we go with God and he goes with us. You see, we might have left sort of the inner sanctum there, our private place, but we walk with God throughout the day and he with us. And there is something about us that we need to understand that we need to maintain an awareness of the presence of God. And the best way I know to do that is to start with him at some point in the day, hopefully in the morning, where we enter his presence and where we calibrate ourselves and where we sit down before God and we say, Lord, here I am. There you are. What do you want to say to me today? I need to hear from you. And Lord knows we have stuff, right? We have our list of stuff that we're thinking about and that we're dealing with and we need answers to and needs that we have. But when we come to God, I'd like to suggest to you the first thing we should do is to not come with all of our stuff, but to just come. Just come and sit. Just present ourselves before him. Lord, I'm here. And dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And it says, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So dwelling in the secret place and under the shadow of the Almighty. You know, if you think of a, a shadow or shade... You know, on a hot summer day, you want to go out and sit under a tree. If you want to get out of the sun, you've got to go underneath the shade of the tree. So you have to put yourself in a place. Jude said something very similar in his tiny little epistle. He said, keep yourselves in the love of God. So you see, it's something we have to do. We have to consciously do it. We have to willfully do it. So he or she who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So the secret place and the shadow, these are places of security and rest. These are places where we can always go in before God and calm our souls and quiet our spirits and sit before him and realize the truth of Psalm 46 verse 10, which says, be still and know that he is God. You see, if we don't do that, then it's very easy for us to get out of sorts. Have you ever had a day, and I'll be the first to raise my hand, where you didn't do that, and you went out and you just started your day, and then all of a sudden, man, it's like everything irritates you, right? 
Everything just irritates you. Everybody irritates you. Every driver, every person in the store, your people in your house, just irritate. Everybody just irritates you. And you know why that happens? Because we don't do this. Because we don't go here first. Because going here first and getting on our knees if we need to, and I suggest that, I highly suggest that. Uh, and if you can't, you know, for whatever reason, that's fine. But, you know, I find for me that when I get on my knees, and I, admittedly I don't do it every day, but when I do it, there's an awareness of humbling myself. There's an awareness of coming before God and bowing down. And we need to do that. We need to do that because we need to remind ourselves that he is God and that we are not. And we need to remind ourselves that he is God over everything, not just my little sphere of affairs. But he is God over the universe. He is God over the world. He is God over the affairs of men. You know, there's a beautiful proverb, the king's hand is in the heart of the Lord and he turns it whichever way he wishes. You know, we forget sometimes as we look out and we watch the news that God's in charge of global affairs. And we get despairing sometimes, don't we? Because we think the wrong people are in charge. Well, if the wrong people are in charge, it's because God allowed it because he has a plan. He has a direction. He has a purpose. In Psalm 27, it says this, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Amen. Psalm 91 verse 2, I will say of the Lord... So this is the person who's now been dwelling in the presence of the Lord and under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and in Him I will trust. Now there's something important here I don't want you to miss. Four times in these two verses, we have four different names for God given to us. We have the Most High, we have the Almighty, we have the Lord, and we have my God. The phrase or the term most high, Elyon, means the highest God, the supreme one. The word almighty, Shaddai, means most powerful. The term the Lord is the covenant name of God. It is Yahweh or Jehovah. And that name means the self-existing one. And it is his proper name that he prefers to be addressed by. And then the term my God is our familiar term Elohim. It is the plural name of God that we found last week used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. His triune name. Now why in the span of two verses would God use four names? Why would he call himself the most high or the highest God or the supreme one? Why would he say almighty or most powerful? Why would he say the Lord, the self-existing or the pre-existing one? Why would he say Elohim, the plural name, which we now know as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And I submit to you that it's because God wants us to know that he is complete. 
He is completely in charge. There is nothing outside the purview of God. I don't know about you, but I have ADD. I miss a lot of stuff. God never misses anything. In my life, and in, in, in the, the life of the world, since time began till now, however many billions, some people estimate 12, 13, 14 billion people have lived on the earth from the beginning of time till now, God's never missed a thing. Not even a moment, not even a millisecond in one person's life. God knows everything. He is omniscient. And so when the psalmist here is saying these things of the Lord, he is giving us a complete picture of trust. You know, we're not just flippantly going before God. Here's my 10-minute prayer list. God, 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 Jesus, 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 and then we're on our way. This is the supreme being, the highest God, Yahweh, our covenant God, the most powerful God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is presented here to us as we, before we even get going in this psalm, the picture that he is there, he is complete, he is fully in charge. In Isaiah 25, it says, For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a rainstorm against a wall. In other words, when we trust in the Lord, God takes care of us. Well, in verse 3, it says, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the perilous pestilence. That's a term we don't use very often. It's something we're not often not familiar with. The fowler would be a bird trapper. And bird trappers had a very unique and crafty way of catching birds. If they had an idea where birds would roost or nest, they would go and set up uh, nets over them, so that, and then they would go scare them. And when they uh, scared them or made a loud noise and they took off, they would fly into the nets and be trapped. So the fowler was a crafty hunter who had a very unique way of trapping the birds. So you kind of get that picture there of the fowler, and if you will, if I can make the, the crossover analogy to Satan, our enemy, who likes to trap us and trick us. It says, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and of the perilous pestilence. What's the perilous pestilence? Well, what's the fowler going to do with the birds? It's going to be their end, right? Now, as we consider that, Consider a few scriptures here that sort of speak to this, this issue of how God shall deliver us from these snares and protect us. In Psalm 142, verse 5, it says, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. You know, we, we can't overdo this, this issue of understanding that God is our refuge and that we run into him. I love that. I think it's in Psalm 18 where it says, the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are saved. How God protects us. Or in Psalm 124, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Blessed be the Lord 
who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, too often, too quickly, we go to our own devices, don't we? We go to our own means. We trust in ourselves. We trust in our flesh. And then when that doesn't work, we usually phone a friend, which is okay if they're a believer and you call them and say, can you help me? Can you pray with me? And all that. And we should do that. That's why the body of Christ is there. But the Lord is telling us he wants him to be the first stop. He wants us to be dependent upon him. The first call for help should be to the Lord. In verse 4, it says, He, speaking of the Lord, the four names of God, our great God, He shall cover you with His feathers. Now there's a beautiful picture here of a bird, can be any bird, who has its young and it draws its young close and it covers its young with its feathers. And it does that to provide warmth and to provide security and to provide shelter. And these pictures that are painted for us here in the scriptures are to help us understand just how far God goes in his love for us. He shall cover you with his feathers. I, I love some of the older language. If you read some of the older translations, it says he shall cover you with his pinions. I love that, which, which is another word for feathers, but it makes you think about it. And under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Shield is the large shield, buckler is the small shield. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. And what a picture there, hearkening back to Ephesians 6, the armor of God and how we're giving this, given the shield of faith. But I love the picture given to us in Exodus chapter 25 when God was giving Moses the instructions for the implements of, of the temple, the tent of meeting, as he was putting all of that together. In Exodus 25, beginning in verse 20, God is giving him specific instructions on how to build the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And beginning in verse 20, he says, The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another, the faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give to you. And there I will meet with you. From above the mercy seat and from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony. I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Why do I find that interesting? Because just as God told Moses to go into the tent of meeting in front of the ark, in front of the mercy seat, in front of the cherubim with their wings spread out. He said, this is where I will commune with you. And I think in like manner, as we think about what's happening here in Psalm 91, as it says in verse four, he shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you shall take, take refuge. That God wants us to understand that when we go to the secret place, when we go to the shadow, when we go to the dwelling place, that God covers us with his wings and this is where he communes with us. This is where he speaks with us. As we go into this place where God wants to cover us with his wings. Now here's the result 
of these first four verses of going into the secret place and dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty and all of that. Verse 5, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night. Now, interestingly, he doesn't say specifically what the terror is. There's no hint of that here. Specifically, what was the trouble? We don't know. That's why it's so good. This is, it makes it generic so that we can understand it and apply it. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. Certainly referring to, to war or, or some kind of imminent attack. But I love it when God says, you shall not be afraid. I don't know about you, but too often I'm fearful. Just in general, about anything. Fearful of the future, fearful of the unknown, fearful of problems that I don't see solutions to and I don't know how God's going to work it out. You shall not be afraid. Why? Because we are in the presence of God because God will take care of us. We're under the shadow of his wings. He protects us. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. In other words, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how impossible the situation may seem, no matter how big the army may seem coming at you or how large the problem that looms before, looms before you, it's not bigger than the Lord. Nothing's bigger than the Lord. Again, referring back to those four names of God that we were given. Isaiah 43 comforts us with these words, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And though the rivers, they, and, and through the rivers, excuse me, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. This sounds a lot like words that Jesus gave his disciples, doesn't it? When he said, as, I, as I'm going away and as I send you out, I'm going to protect you and serpents shall not hurt you. And, you know, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you through the things that you face. In verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. As I was sitting there that day, which is indelibly etched in my mind, that October morning by the pool, reading this and listening to the pop of gunfire, thinking I'm going into that. And knowing that God had called us there to minister to this people group, I had such incredible peace. And as we drove into the city every day and we went and we did a, a food closet and a, a clothing closet and all that and ministered to these people, you know, God opened a door for great ministry and it was wonderful. But I tell you, the amazing thing was just the sense of calm and security that we had because we heard the gunfire every single day. No bullets ever hit our building or anything like that. But as the Lord had shared this with me as I was sitting there that morning, you know, I had traveled on that plane over there fearful. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, is something going to happen? We're going to go, we're going to get captured, you know, some crazy thing like that. And yet we had the most amazing trip. And as I said, 
uh, we had the run of the city. So we had a, a couple of days here and there, some free time, and we went and we just we did some sort of personal touring. And I'm telling you, there was nobody. All the street vendors who loved to haggle, you could get things practically for nothing because there was nobody there. They couldn't sell anything. They were desperate. And then the Lord put us on a bus. He kind of worked this out at the last minute. And they, they took us for a day and a half up and did a quick tour. And we went out to the sea and uh, Caesarea. And then we stopped and we did some things. So we got about a day and a half in. And we, we went up the um, sort of the west coast and, you know, went up into the Jezreel Valley, which is the Battle of Armageddon. And we saw the place or the places where you know, uh, Jesus would have gone to the Mount of Transfiguration and, and, and there was nobody there. And it was just absolutely amazing that God gave us all these things because of a decree and because of uh, just things that didn't go well politically. And it was an amazing time. It is so etched in my mind. And yet this verse, every time I read it, you know, as I cycle back through this, every time I read it, I, I can't read this verse, but, but to think of how God had promised of, what, of how he would protect us while we were there serving him in the city of Jerusalem. And it says here in verse 8, only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. In other words, it's not going to touch you. It's not going to come near you. And here's, it comes back in verse 9 to sort of what happened in the first two verses. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, because you've done that, because you've done the right thing, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. What an amazing thing for God to say. In Psalm 34, he said something very similar. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalm 34, 7, you might want to underline that verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his servants, you his saints, excuse me. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. I tell you, Psalm 34, 6 through 10, is a mainstay. It's similar to Psalm 23 because it uses that term want. There is no want to those who fear him, meaning as long as we fear the Lord, God will take care of us. God will meet our needs. And there's a promise there in Psalm 34, which is similar to what we're hearing here in Psalm 91, which is that the Lord will hear us, the Lord will listen to us, the Lord will deliver us. And the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him. I mean, what a promise from God. Not just, as he said, I am, I am with you all, lo, I am with you always, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. But he also says I send angels to encamp around you and to protect you. What an amazing thing. How much security do you need? If God gives you an angel, if God promises you his very presence, what an amazing promise of God. I love how God condescends to us. He stoops. He comes down to our level. 
And he says, I know you're skittish, you're fearful, you have, you're full of insecurities, and it doesn't take much to rattle us, some, some less than others. But God is saying, I am here, I will be with you, I will take care of you. And then in Psalm, in Psalm 91 verse 11, we find this familiar couple of verses which are distinctly messianic, and as we read them, you'll probably recognize them. Verse 11, for he, God, shall give his angels charge over you, speaking to Jesus, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Now when Satan came and tempted Jesus, after Jesus had been in the desert for 40 days, fasting and seeking the Lord, we find recorded in Matthew 4, and I believe the same thing is recorded in Luke chapter 4. It says, Then the devil took him, that is Jesus, up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, and this is Satan quoting this scripture to Jesus, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. A promise that God meant for good, a promise that God meant as a, as a holy and a righteous thing, Satan is taking and twisting, and Jesus correctly divided it and said in uh, Matthew 4, 7, Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So he's saying, you know, why would I do that? Why would I go up to the top of the temple and jump off just to test it and see if God says he's going to do it? he does it. He says, don't tempt the Lord your God. Obviously, we need to be wise about things, don't we? But the thing of it is, God is saying, as he promised his son here, down through the, the ages, I will protect you. I will give my angels charge over you. I will keep you in all your ways. And I believe these are things that while this primarily applied to Jesus, certainly we can draw from it again in the context of what we're studying, that God wants to provide. God wants to give us protection. He wants to give us security. God even goes so far as to give us angels to help us. And it says, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot. Remember, Jesus said something very similar to his disciples before he sent them out. And we even have that amazing example of Paul the Apostle who was, as he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And he was there serving the people on the ship as they had uh, been shipwrecked and it was raining and it was cold. And he was throwing the, the sticks on the fire as he had been out gathering them. And then a, a snake of some kind came out in the warmth and latched onto his hand and the people saw it and they knew that it was a poisonous snake and they were just standing there watching and in their superstition they looked at it and they said obviously there's karma going on here and this man has been bitten by a snake and the gods are coming for him because he must have done something wrong or evil and then the scriptures say that Paul shook off the snake and the fire and he continued about what he was doing. And they were watching, waiting to see him fall down on the ground, go into a convulsion and foam at the mouth and die. But nothing happened. Why? Because God protected him. Now, does this mean we can go out and play with snakes and all that? No, of course not. But it does refer to the fact of how Paul, while he was busy serving God, something happened to him and God delivered him. And here... 
The same thing being said of the psalmist under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to us down through all of these ages. And here's the beautiful thing in verse 14. I want to make sure you read this carefully. Because he, lowercase, that's us. Because he has set his love upon me, capital, meaning God. Therefore, I will deliver him. Do you catch that? Because we are in love with him. You know, and John tells us in his little epistle, 1 John, he says, we love him because he first loved us. Hasn't everything prior to this verse demonstrated to us the love of God? The protection of God, the names of God, coming under the shadow of his wings, going into the presence of the Most High, dwelling in the, just the presence of God. And God promising to take care of us. I mean, doesn't this sound like Matthew 6? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you? Doesn't this just echo what Jesus said? And God said he would protect us. He would take care of us. Because he, that you and me, have set our love upon him because we've, we've turned back to the Lord and we've said, Lord, I love you. And not just I love you because, because you love me, because you've done good things for me, but hopefully we get to the place in our lives where we just say, I love you, Lord. Not I love you because. You know, as a parent with kids, when you, your kids are growing up, especially when they're little, they're always coming, oh, I love you, God, Dad, Mom, thank you for the cookie. Thank you for whatever. You give them something they want, oh, I love you, you're amazing. Right? But that day when your child comes to you, and sadly it was as an adult, and they come and they say, you know what? Thank you. Just thank you. And you know it's not thank you because of the stuff. It's thank you because I now realize how much you've loved me and I want to love you back. And this is where God wants us to go. This is where he wants us to end up. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. God loves to delight in his children. He loves to deliver his children. He loves to provide for his children. I will set him on high because he has known my name. God, you know, he says, if you want to be great and humble yourself. And God's saying here, essentially, I will exalt him who has humbled himself before me. Psalm 94, unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Let me say that again. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. That's Psalm 94, 19. Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Have you ever felt forsaken? Have you ever been in a place in your walk with God where you thought, you know, I'm just not hearing from the Lord? And it's not because God has forsaken you or me. It's because we have forsaken him. It's because we've wandered away from him. And he calls us back to himself constantly. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Verse 15. He shall call upon me 
and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. This is God speaking to you and me. If we would just humble ourselves and call upon him, God help me, whatever we can muster up in that moment. He says, I will deliver him and honor him. How amazing is it that the God of the universe, the God of those four names would say to you and me, I will deliver him or her and honor him. Is that not the highest honor to have God say that I will do this for you? And then he says, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I mean, for God to demonstrate to us, to show us his salvation, is that not enough? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. As we draw it to a close, there's a beautiful verse in James chapter 4. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know that draw near to God, and he will draw near to you? That's Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. That's, that's the back end of the psalm as we've just been talking about it. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Sounds like Psalm 91 to me. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people at the supermarket. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the struggle. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. God loves us. God protects us. He wants us to dwell under the shadow of his wings. And if we will do that, when we go through any sort of difficulty, especially these kinds of days where there's a lot of craziness and uncertainty going on, then we know that we have confidence in God and we know that God is going to bless us. God is going to take care of us. It's said in here that God blesses us. The blessing, the word blessing there means to bend the knee. And so there's, there's a couple of aspects to that. 
one of the aspects is the one being blessed bends the knee and receives the blessing. But there's also the idea that the one doing the blessing condescends and bends over to touch and to deliver the blessing to the one who is down on uh, one or two knees in such a position so as to humble or to prostrate themselves to receive that blessing. And in order for us to be blessed, we have to humble ourselves. You see, God is faithfully offering the blessing because he's gracious. But he also wants us to humble ourselves and to receive the blessing or the blessings that he gives us with the right attitude. So as we go through these days and whatever days the Lord has before us in our lives, individually as a church or, you know, as a nation, God wants us to remain humble to keep ourselves in the, the shadow of the Almighty, to dwell and to abide close to Him. And to, he, he will do these things for us. He will bless us. He will take care of us. He will provide for us. And yet, it's also for such a time as this, as Paul said at the end of his prayer there in Ephesians 6, that we rise up and that we are standing here as people of hope. That we are standing here as the most blessed people on the face of planet earth. And that even in the midst of difficulty and stress. That we stand here as a beacon of hope and light. That we might be as Paul said in Philippians 3 I think. That we might be lights in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. So in these days let us be strong. Strong in the Lord and strong in his might. Let's not succumb to the world. Let's not allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. Rather, let's be conformed to the image of Christ and let him shine through us during these dark days. Amen. Lord Jesus, this morning, we love you. We just love you because you have loved us so much. You've loved us with an everlasting love. You've loved us with a perfect love. And as we come to the table this morning and receive a reminder of your grace and your love and your mercy to us. We do so with humility. We do so with thankfulness and gratitude. And we do so, Lord, expecting that as we remember that there's a blessing here for us this morning and that you will fill us up to overflowing and that as we leave this place today and as we go out, that we can be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so, Lord, we can only do this because of you. And so, Lord, we just trust you to fill us, to overflow us, to bless us, to protect us, to care for us. And, Lord, help us in the weakness of our flesh to seek you. For any, Lord, this morning, as they are sitting here or perhaps listening, who have never put their hope and their faith and their trust in you. May this be a moment for them where they will humble themselves before the throne of Almighty God and say, Lord, I need you. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. I want to receive your forgiveness. And may this be a moment for them, a turning point where they become a child of God, a son or a daughter of the Most High. And as we come to the table, Lord, we receive all that you have for us. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll sing a song. The men will pass out the elements. If you'll hold on to them at the end, we will partake together.